Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick, and I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller, a mid-sized law firm in Houston, Texas. I want to welcome you to Building Texas Business, a podcast about corporate innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership in the Lone Star State. The goal of this podcast is to learn from some of the best business leaders in Texas in hopes that their stories of growth, challenges, and success will inspire our listeners in their own journey to building a successful business. Today's guest is Joran Hogg, president of Champion Fiberglass, headquartered in Spring, Texas. Champion Fiberglass is the leading supplier of fiberglass conduit, strut, and bridge drain systems to the industrial, electrical, and mechanical markets. In over 30 years, this Swedish chemical engineer turned Texas entrepreneur has grown champion fiberglass from one to four product lines and even survived and rebuilt after a devastating factory fire to become the eight-figure business it is today. Currently, Joran serves on the executive committee of NEMRA Manufacturers Group, and the Chemical Engineering Advisory Board of Rice University's George R. Brown School of Engineering. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much. So tell us, uh, what is your business known for? I would say that over the years we've built up an enormous reputation of customer service. We almost go go to the extreme there, but I think long-term it always pays off. And because of that, we have become very dominant in our industry. We have only three manufacturers in our little niche market. You know, when it comes to conduit, what thing everybody thinks about is PVC conduit and steel conduit. Fiberglass conduit is maybe three to four percent of the total conduit market, but it serves very important niches. So we have three manufacturers. And I would, would estimate we have about 70 to 75% market share in North America. When I say North America, it's mostly Canada and U.S. Okay. So what inspired you to start Champion Fiberglass? I always want to run my own company. I, I cannot explain why, but I always want to do it because I had a lot of good bosses over the years and a lot of inspiration. But I always want, wanted to run, as you call it, my own race build it up. I want to build up something that you can be proud of, you know. It was never about money. Money will always ha- happen. It will come if if you're if you make things right. But that was not the driving force. It was just to build up a company that I can be very proud of. Very good. So with that as the backdrop, how how did it become that you were in this fiberglass manufacturing uh, industry? Uh, that's interesting. I have a wife who's from the Philippines. And she had some uh, Filipino friends. And one of the, those guys told her about a company that had gone bankrupt on here, here in almost in spring, actually. Uh, actually, And uh, he, he kind of said, 
Hey, your husband is a chemical engineer. He should be able to do something of it. So I drove over and looked at the equipment. It was horrible. It was <laughs> awful. But uh, I kind of started to think about it, you know. And then I said, yeah, we can probably do something. I didn't have enough money. But uh, luckily, through an, an, an accounting firm, we all know them, Grant Thornton, I was a- able to meet my business partner that time. He was an electrical engineer. He had an MBA also from Indiana University. And he and I started Champion Fiberglass 1988. That's right. Now, uh, Myers is you now own the business 100%. Yes. So you, you went through some type of buyout of your partner? Yeah. And uh, that's an interesting story there also. 2008, two weeks after Lee, my brothers went down there, I bought him out. And I remember going home to my wife that evening and saying, Honey, this morning we were completely debt-free. Right now, we're in deep debt, and the whole world is falling apart. But let's say a prayer, let's hope we can make it, honey. And, and that was a great decision. We have, on an average, we have grown 12.5% every year since that or, organically. Wow. No acquisitions. That's impressive. And your wife stayed with you. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in starting Champion, and now owning it for as long as you have, what do you believe some of the key uh, factors or, or elements are to building a successful business like Champion Fiberglass. Finding the right people, everything. You know, when you're young, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, and you read about people and, and you hear that all the time, but you don't understand it. But then when you get older, you realize everything is about people, finding the right people all the time, working with them, getting the best out of them, you know, and that, that is the whole key. That, the management group and the whole group I have today is just outstanding, you know. I'm so proud of it. We have five outside salespeople. We have 35 manufacturer reps in every state of the union and every province of Canada, you know. And we constantly, you know, we check everything. I have just great people in my company. Over the years, what have you done to refine and, and improve your hiring processes to make sure you have that? strong team behind you. I always say, and, and my employees are tired of hearing it from me, but I will tell them, don't worry about what they know. Worry about how they will fit into our company. Make sure be sure they can work in Champion Fiberglass and they will fit there. So that sounds like what you're saying is culture is paramount yeah, at Champion Fiberglass. Absolutely. How would you define the culture that you've built there? It, it's a very tight, I have a lot of type A personalities very loyal people. I, I would say some of them would probably take, they were probably jump in front of a, of a bullet, you know, someone tried to, to shoot me, actually. I'm joking, but, you know, <laughs> very loyal and hardworking, you know. And I will also say, you know, when you're successful, people want to work in a successful company. So you can feel that you attract a good people there because nobody wants to work in a stale company. Nobody wants, wants to work in a company that's going to go out but, you know, knowing that you're with a winner, that, that means a lot to us. So we can really recruit a lot of good people because of that. So we have a great reputation in the industry. You know, we have people constantly asking if you have an opening and all that. And that's a great feeling. That helps, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of type A personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, any tips or tricks that you, have been successful for you in managing a lot of type A personalities? Because I imagine that it can prove to be pretty challenging from time to time. Well, one thing you learn is that don't micromanage them. Never. 
let, let, let them work because they will figure out they want to do the best always uh, stay away from micromanaging I mean micromanaging is the death of a company in my opinion yeah. so in in evolving yourself as the leader of the organization any management consulting uh, people that you've worked with or things that you've read that have helped you develop uh, into the leader you are today? Well, it's interesting to ask that because when I was young, you know, I, I, I read Peter Drucker like everybody did and all that. I read all of his books, you know, and it, it's a lot of wisdom there. But then 1982, there came two books that really, really knocked me out. Well, well, one was the, the One Minute Manager by Peter Blanchett and, and Waterman, you know, and I, I was just taken back. Sorry, uh, Spencer Johnson. And the other one that probably had more influence on me was In Search of Excellence. Tom Peters and, and uh, Robert Waterman. And I had just, about 1984, I got a great job for a big Swedish corporation, and I had just read In Search of Excellence. And we all know there was one phrase that, that we all remember, management but by walking around. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, phrase. I do. And, and I love that, you know. And this company I was working for, it was a big multinational. We had manufacturing in 46 countries. And, and they put me for training in the headquarters for a while. So here, in order to, to get into the executive suites, you had to have a special key. And, and to get in there. And everything was so quiet and all that. And I said to myself, that's not management by walking around. I felt completely d d different from it. And, and from there on, you know, it's, it's developed. And then, you know, in the early 2000, that was this fantastic guy. And I still admire, and I'm a big devotee of him, Jim Collins. Oh, sure. Yes. Love Jim Collins' work. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, so you're, you're referring to good to great? Good to great, you know. And I also, if you want to have fun, read the How the Mighty Fall, because that's a very interesting book. I like that one, you know. Where actually two of the 11 original companies, he brings it up, and why they actually failed, even though they were originally great. Right. No, I, I've read that one as well. And they, uh, to your point, uh, they didn't make it. Exactly. Um, so you've... You've seen a lot of success in, in what you mentioned earlier, the, since buying out your partner, tremendous growth in the company. But I have to believe along the way there's been some setbacks. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are there any setbacks you could share with us? You know, what they were? I'm, I'm going to do what yeah. <laughs> Well, we are limited in time. Uh, maybe, maybe the one that comes biggest well, to mind, but what, 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 one or two. Let me give you two. And what was the learning? From, what were they? And what was the learning yeah. from them? The first big one was that we were underfunded. And after about a year in business, we needed more capital. And boy, that was tough. I mean, I was smelling that 1-1, uh, the chapter 11, mm. you know. But through a friend of a friend, I was able to get an investor into our company. He and another person bought 25% of our shares. And very patient investor. Some of them might know him. It was Mr. Ralph O'Connor. He was one of the son-in-laws of Mr. George R. Brown that everybody used to know, of course. <laughs> and, Good people to know. Yes. <laughs> but, but it was his friend that introduced me to him. And fantastic guy. Very patient, you know, and all that. And really helped, helped, helped us the whole way. He even guaranteed initially personally our line of credit with the bank because we couldn't get that. And thanks to him, you know, we were able to, to survive. We were able to, to come along. And then about 
10 or 11 years later we bought them out and we paid 10 times the price that we bought so he stayed very friendly with, with us the whole time <laughs> and then the most devastating thing that was a Sunday morning beautiful morning it was March 13 2016 I get a phone call about 5.30 in the morning from my plant manager crying saying that the plant is on fire Oh my gosh. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The plant is on fire. It's burning down. So I jumped in it. I lived fairly close to our plant, drove there. There were 12 fire trucks. Uh, it was an eight alarm fire. The whole road was blocked off and everything. They let me in, in because I, I was the, the owner, you know, and the president. And I saw my whole factory burning down right in front of my eyes. Very traumatic event. Yes. There was only. The, the machine shop and the office that survived and thank lord that, that that was the case because that allowed us that we can come back we were insured by the travelers by the travelers the biggest commercial insurance company and i know everybody likes to take to talk negative about insurance company they were great when i got a big fat check this was on the sunday i got a big fat check on the following friday to, to pay my employees I only had to pay my employees myself for three days. Then they picked up 100%. We rebuilt in about less than half of the time what that estimated. We saved them over $5 million. So we turned that into a success story, actually. That's amazing. Tell me, I mean, what was the range of emotions you were going through when you saw those flames? Everything, everything. I, I have to have to uh, admit, I was probably more numb than anything else. I couldn't understand it. But on Monday morning, I, we started to take actions. On Wednesday morning, the adjuster from Travelers came in. And then, like I said, on Friday when I got to check, I know that we are coming back. I know it. Yeah. And I realized that you've got to have good insurance. Not only, you know, liability and property and asset, but you're going to have business interruption insurance because that's what saved us. Without a good one, we, are, we would not have been around. Yeah. So in addition to you know, having the right and good insurance, what were some of the other lessons you learned about yourself, about your team, things that you would you could share with our listeners? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, my team was fantastic. You know, I, I will almost start to cry if yeah. I talk about it, but, you know, to see how everybody pitched in, you know, we went out, we cleaned up right away, and, you know, everybody was working to fix it. We are very unique, you know, because all of our equipment we have built ourselves, everything custom built. And thank, thank Lord that, that, that the maintenance shop was intact, that the fireman was able to stop the fire right before it was going to be in there. And that allowed us, we can, we can do a lot of things. And then the main equipment was still okay. We just had to clean up everything. But everything else, we had to take down the whole building while we still had machinery standing and all that. It was unbelievable. Wow. All right. Well, that's enough about you know, something <laughs> negative. Let's switch no, back but to... But nobody came, became a positive, very it, positive. It sounds like it, right? You, and, you, and, and a few years later, we built a third manufacturing line. Well, that, if nothing else, maybe that's the lesson is don't let the downtime discourage you because there's opportunity exactly find the opportunity but but I'm, I'm most proud over how my employees reacted uh, they were great really okay. so you know, turning back to something maybe a little more positive when you think about what you're doing at champion fiberglass or, or maybe it's something you've done in the past in the context of innovation what what have you done or are you doing that is innovative in your industry wow how many hours do you have 
Again, we're limited on time. But <laughs> what we are very unique on is that we build all of our steel molds. We do compression molding. And like I said, we build the whole production uh, equipment ourselves originally. Not anymore. We are too big for that. But, but still, we do compression molding. You need very advanced molds. We build them all in-house. We don't go to China. We can do it for about half the cost versus China and half the time. And we had uh, Congressman Kevin Brady came a few years ago and visited us. And when he saw that, he said, man, you're doing home sourcing. You're not doing outsourcing. And then he said, is it okay, is it okay if I mention this in my speeches? And I said, sure, go ahead. So apparently he talks about that in the company who does their own molds and all that. That's very inspiring. Very inspiring. That is good. This last year, we started a new line. We call it Bridge Drain. And it's a very new thing, and we need a special kind of fittings, and they were very difficult to do. But but with the company Owens Corning and another company, we worked up a very noble process, you know. So we now have, have a fantastic process, low cost, the best quality in the industry, and it's really nice to see these uh, these uh, bridge drain fittings that we're doing right now. So so it sounds like to me the innovation and is some of that come because of your background. I think so. Yes, yeah. you you made that as serious competitive advantage. And, and then a uh, very interesting thing, we, we, a regular conduit does burn at high temperature, but, but you can do you can use a, a phenol-based type of resin, and that, that thing doesn't burn. We can go up to 2,000 Fahrenheit for two hours, it doesn't burn. And we, and we cooperate with a big electrical, a big cable company called RSSC, they're owned by a guy up in Omaha, Nebraska, called Warren Buffett. Somebody and may have heard of him. Someone listening may have heard of him. <laughs> and we developed a very novel type again to make this kind of conduit to avoid, you know, uh, environmental problems, environmental inside the manufacturing, all that. And that has been very well accepted. So a lot of tunnel applications today in railroad tunnels, in road tunnels, etc. They use this type of conduit, and it's been very, very successful. Right. Um, we've talked a lot about your people. Does Champion Fiberglass like have a set stated values that they expect people to operate absolutely, by? Absolutely, absolutely. Tell us about that and and how that how those were developed, what they are, and and how you use those in your day to day. Well, we 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 sat down and we, we kind of hashed it around or whatever you want to call it, you know, with the whole management group and all that. And of course, integrity is one of them. And now another one is customer service. We want to be excellent in customer service. Another one is that because of my Christian background, I want, I want us to be a faith-based company. That's great. I mean, you don't, unfortunately, you don't see companies put that out to the public very often. Even though they, it's important. Even it's, though they may believe it. But, yeah. uh, kudos to you for that. And uh, every time when we go out and we eat or something, we always uh, say a meal blessing uh, as a company. And I tell everybody it's voluntary. You know, and if you have another belief, that's fine, but uh, it's voluntary. With the pandemic that we've all been experiencing over the last now almost 18 months, what are some of the challenges that your company's faced and what's helped you navigate through them? The biggest challenge was to avoid a, a panic. In the beginning, if you remember, March, April, and May 2020, it was panicky and you were afraid of touching everything and all that. So, so, you know, I saw my role was to kind of keep people, you know, 
trying to make people not panic, making sure, sure that they were comfortable and everything. I was very surprised. I offered the whole office so that it can work from home. Only one person worked half-time from home. And then I asked the other ones, how come you don't work from home? And they said, nah, I don't want this. It's so, so depressing, you know. And they want to have that daily interaction, actually. That's uh, very unique to hear. I mean, I know there, it, okay, I didn't know that. Well, there's certainly, I think, there are a lot of essential services as those were defined mm-hmm. in the orders that you know kept going in. But um, you know, to hear that your employees are that dedicated to the company to be there in person um, is is a testament to the culture you've built. I, I hope so. Yeah. So, and, and then it's interesting. You know, a few weeks ago, I actually gathered all of my employees when the Delta virus was going to come. And I went over, you know, the facts that we know about it, and I said, okay, here are the facts, and we went over it. We're, almost everyone is vaccinated, and everybody after that means, okay, it was good you had that, because everybody felt much better after we had that little talk. So you've given us some examples of, I guess, the way you relate to your employees. How would you describe your, your leadership style, your, your philosophy on leadership, uh, for that matter? Well, I have to go back to Jim Collins. Get the best people, get them on the bus, find the right seat for them, and then don't micromanage them. That's okay. Yeah. That's what's worked for you. Yes. And because of that, I, I can take time off. You know, my wife and I would like to go on, on a, a two weeks vacation in Europe or Asia, whatever, you know, no problem. I can trust everybody, you know, it's great. That's good. From a, uh, we talked about the fire and um, your funding. Are there any uh, personal, setbacks or failures maybe that you've experienced that you've learned from that our listeners might be able to learn from they may be going through the same thing yeah one thing comes to mind you know early on we needed to have a special type of fittings made of fiberglass and i thought we could avoid that by using some other type of of solution fail big time and i realized if you're going to do it do it right Gotcha. There are no shortcuts very often. Yeah. Did, how long did it take you to, to kind of pivot away from that? Probably about a year, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I struggled and struggled yeah. because I was so convinced I could do it. But now, nah, in, in the end, you know, customer told us, Joran, it doesn't work. Don't you see? It takes too much space. It's not what we want, you know, and all that. And left. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> you still believe you do better, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I guess looking back, you'd say waiting a year to make that change was too long. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you've you mentioned you know some of the authors that you've read. Any other mentors that you have had over the course of your career that have kind of helped shape you into who you are? Well, they're often you know your bosses and all that. Uh, the, the, I had a guy who recruited me to work for the the, the big Swedish company I told you about with yes. the executive suites. But the guy who recruited me he was actually the, the the reader manager for Southeast Asia. So, so I worked for him in the Philippines for two years. I, I lived in the Philippines, and he's he's the best guy I've ever had. Okay, yeah, uh, you share his name. He is well. It's a Swedish guy. His name was Finn Johnson, and and uh, what I liked about him is that he was very demanding. He set very high goals. It was always fun to work with him because you know he mixed in fun with hard hard work you know, and all that. So based on what you learned from him, have, have you incorporated that somehow in like with your senior team that where you mentored them in ways? Absolutely. And set high goals. Never be afraid of it because 
people like to have high goals, yeah. you know, that they want to accomplish something. I'm going to mention a funny thing about him. Yeah. So a few years later on, he, he, he became the CEO of a beer company that we all know about, Guinness. Oh, really? Yes. So I spoke to him because we are still uh, talking to each other. He said, so how did it go? And he said, can you believe this? I walked in there. There were 91 Rolls Royces with 91 private drivers and all that. So I asked him, how long did it take before you fired them? One week. <laughs> they had 91 VPs and they all had their own Rolls Royce in Guinness. And he said, no wonder that they were not making any money. He cleaned up the whole operation and sold it to Diago later on. And uh, we all know the rest of the story. Yeah, no, uh, that was pretty quick action to turn. Yes, well, that's him. And, and that's another thing with him. Don't wait. Do it right away. Yeah, and I think Collins talks about that, right? Yes. And my employees, they know very well, if they go in with the proposal, they know what I'm going to say. Okay, do it, is what I always say. <laughs> so you mentioned you know, uh, the belief in setting high goals. Anything else kind of from uh, a mentoring or encouragement standpoint you do with your senior team? I, I, I think not only senior team, obviously, but all employees care about them. You've got to care, but you have to like people. I don't think you can be successful unless you like people and you care about them. You know, to give you one example, I had a guy that had a problem with immigration. And I was able to, 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 to bail him out, you know. I had to drive up to Condro to one of the ICE centers one night and get him out on a Friday night, you know, and all that. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine the loyalty from that guy after that, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's... I. The theme, which I think is great, is that you care about your people, and it shows. Uh, and I, I can see it here, but it also shows in the success that you've had at Champion Fiberglass. And I, I think that's a great lesson for business owners out there and aspiring entrepreneurs. But it works both ways. You know, they give me a lot also, you know, so it makes me happy and I feel good about it. You know, it's not the one way that I give them, but they give me a lot also. Sure, right. In any great relationships, two ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's, you know, as people start to think about a business, I think sometimes they get caught up on the technical uh, of whatever that product's going to be or the idea is going to be and lose sight of the people. And, and what you're saying is it's, it's got to be the opposite. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a consultant in many years ago, and then when he gave his summary, he said, the biggest surprise that the employees have said about you is that the, the thing they like most is that you go into their offices and sit down in their office and talk to them instead of them coming to me. And I said, yeah, why not? And he said, no, no. He said, that's very unusual. I said, okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> it, It's unusual, but he told you to keep doing it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you've shared a lot, and I just, you know, and for those that are listening, if there are a couple of, like, just key takeaways where you would say this is the advice if you're out there trying to start a business, want to, or have recently, here, here's some of the keys to success of advice I would give and impart to you. What would those be? I would say, number one, customer service, customer service, customer service. Number two, find the right people. Hire, if you barely can afford them, but hire, hire the very best you can. Absolutely. Okay. And then work with people all the time. Trust them. And don't micromanage. Don't micromanage. Okay. Very good. So any, uh, you mentioned several books. I'm curious if there's something currently that you're reading that you would uh, suggest to, uh, to me and those listening out there. Well, we spoke about Jim Collins. 
And you know, his mentor, Bill Lazier, I don't know how you pronounce it, Lazier, Lazier, uh, he, he unfortunately has passed away. But Bill Collins, Jim Collins just came up with a brand new book here a few months ago. It's called Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 or BE 2.0. You can get on Amazon, outstanding book. Okay, very good. And he says one thing that, that really hit me big time, and that is that just because you're an entrepreneur, you know, in the old time, it was always said, entrepreneurs cannot operate an ongoing corporation. After three to five years, they should always kind of leave and all that. And we all, all, all know what, what happened with Stephen Jobs when he, when he left Apple and all that, right. and the disaster that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim Cornyn said, don't listen to that. Okay. <laughs> very When I read it, it's like, dang, you really mean it, Jim. Yeah. And then for me, having now started a company and, and I being a business for 33 years, that hit home very much because I don't see any reason that I, I should step out just because it's no longer a startup company. Right, because it's still yours and you still care about it. Yes, yes. I think those are the qualities that matter most. I think so too, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, now let's uh, talk about a lot of fun, interesting, serious stuff. We're going to turn it to the light side. Uh, tell us what your first job was. Very first job, boy, I was I was 13 years old because in my old company, Sweden, I'm from Stockholm, Sweden. You're allowed to to to, to work when you're 13 years old. You get a little yellow book, and and the employer has to fill it in. And then then when the when the semester starts, you show it to your teacher, and then make sure you have not been been working, you know, in a bad place. I was a receptionist in in a private photo studio. Oh, really? And, and then I, I've been sorting mail, and I've been working in, in hospitals, and I've been a security guard through, to finance my college uh, thing. You know, I've done everything. It sounds like it. A uh, lot, lot of, I'm sure, things you learn along the way. Oh, definitely. So uh, you're uh, born in Sweden, but an adopted Texan. We accept, you know, we consider you a Texan now here. Absolutely. So I love it here. Do you prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? We have a place in the Old Town Spring called the Corkscrew a Barbecue. If you go there, you will know why you want to have barbecue. Okay. However, a good fajita at Lupe Tortilla is pretty good also. But I think I take barbecue first. Very good. Very good. Um, so if you could take a month sabbatical, where would you go? What would you do? I would go to Maui with my wife. We, we have gone there many Thanksgivings. But we love it there. And I would probably just read. I would be on the beach and take it easy. Hopefully our daughter can come with her boyfriend, spend some time with us, and just relax, have a good time. Good for you. Uh, anything else you do, like in your free time? Do you have hobbies or, or pet projects well, you like to do? I had a big hobby, but, uh, you know, when you get older, you have medical problems. I played something called squash. Oh, okay. I played squash on a fairly decent level for 46 years. And, but unfortunately, I have, I have had to replace both of my hips and one knee because of the squash. So uh, six years ago, I had to stop playing. Now, I, I still miss it. Yeah, I guess now you just have to, to watch it and you probably don't get too many opportunities yeah. to do that. Um, well, Jordan, I, I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast with me. Uh, your, your story is inspirational for sure, and I uh, really appreciate all the things you've shared with us today. Chris, I really thank you for inviting me. I really do. It wasn't that nice talking to you. Very good. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks again. Same to you. Thank you, Chris. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com 
forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.